Hi ladies and gentlemen my name is Joy Dinda fundraising and partner relations manager at Impact Africa Network welcome to the party of women live cast series this is episode 14 we are very excited to have you here thank you for making time this live cast is brought to you by Impact Africa Network a non-profit startup studio in Nairobi we are on a mission to ensure that young talented africans can participate in the digital transformation of africa as creators and owners so we do this by providing 12 month innovation fellowships to recent college graduates where they work on well vetted ideas of course under the guidance of a leadership team and a mentor network the goal is to develop innovations and launch startups welcome to the show Today I am also joined by my co-host who is also my colleague Damaris. Damaris, welcome to the show. Thank you so much Joy. Um episode 14. Uh we started this in October 2020 and here we are. We have talked to amazing brilliant women globally and I'm happy to be here for episode 14. So this live cast series where we have conversation with global female leaders and change makers uh they get to share their stories with the intent of inspiring a new generation of female leaders in Africa and it stemmed from IAN's belief that women are much more effective at leading and nurturing complex people-centric systems and we believe that startups are the quintessential uh, people-centric systems of our day. So we have from our from our very first startup that we launched the the person leading um Jenga school is a lady and we have recently graduated our first cohort of students so we are seeing this already in 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 whatever in 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 our strategies in how we are implementing this thesis so um I'll let Joy introduce our special guest today uh we are looking forward to hear from her thank you thank you Damaris so today We are joined by a remarkable lady. Her name is Louise Pentland. She's the Executive Vice President and Chief Business Affairs and Legal Officer at PayPal. Louise has established herself as a key stakeholder in driving digital transformation and e-commerce. So in her role as Chief Business Affairs and Legal Officer at at PayPal, Louise is responsible for PayPal's global people, legal communications, intellectual property, government relations and social innovation functions. Since joining PayPal in 2015, she has been very uh, passionate about diversity and inclusion and uh, she has put them at the front and center of her role and she's also very passionate about mentorship. Before joining PayPal, she served as the executive vice president and chief legal officer at Nokia Corporation. Of course her work does not go unnoticed. She has been given several accolades. Uh most recently, she was recognized by the California Diversity Council as the top 50 most powerful women in technology in 2017. I love powerful women there. Uh in 2016, she was also named one of the world's top 30 general counsels by the Financial Times and one of America's top 50 outstanding general counsels by the law by the National Law Journal uh, just to name a few so welcome uh, welcome Luis to the show we are very happy to have you here today thank you um, thank you for having me yes um and I've said a whole mouthful about you but if you could just tell our audience a little bit about yourself 
Thank you. Well, first of all, 14 is one of my lucky numbers. So I feel very blessed today to be on the show and I'm very impressed that you have done 14 of these since October 2020. Um, so, um, you know, I think, you know, the, you, you covered a lot of my biography. I think, you know, as I've sort of grown as an individual as, as, and as an executive, it's become very clear to me that the things that are important um, really do boil down to diversity and inclusion. It's it's a it's it's about you know helping um, all of us be the best version of ourselves and supporting each other as we go on that journey. And if we do that well, we now know that whatever organisation you are part of will be so much better. And to me, it becomes just a almost a, a you know a kind of a, a common sense. Right. If if we know that, then why are we not doing more? And I think that's why it's become such a uh, an integral part of who I am. And of course, I'm the mother of a nine year old girl. Um, so, you know, I feel a sense of, you know, growing responsibility that we're not carrying this for the next generations the way we've had to carry it. Amazing. Um, you are very, very passionate about um, diversity and inclusion at the workplace. But let me just take you a little bit back, how you grew up, how you transitioned. Um, I've seen you uh, once a lecturer, a law lecturer, and now you're in corporate. How was that? Did you ever know, like, growing up that, that this is what you wanted to become? Or is it something that just developed over time? It, it's, it's, an, it's an interesting story because you know, my my uh, my father was a, uh, a coal merchant, and he came from a line of coal merchants in England. Um, I grew up in Northern England, um, and it was expected that you join the family business. Um, and so, you know, my whole life um, as a child had been, you know, in an environment where my father was, you know, a sole business owner. And I saw the struggles that that brought with it, but the, also the expectations weren't particularly high because nobody in my family had got a college degree at that point. And so there wasn't a ton of pressure for me to go do something that would really sort of stretch me because, you know, my generation had, you know, family had not, had not really experienced that. And I, and I, as I look back, I, you know, that, that is not unique to me. Of course, you think your circumstances are unique to you, but you see that in underrepresented populations the world over. And, and, you know, and how I got my breakthrough was, you know, through people saying, well, have you thought about doing something else? You seem really good at this. And I think, you know, it was somewhat accidental. And I also, you know, I didn't, you know, I didn't want to grow up for the rest of my life the way I had seen you know my father struggle as a sole business owner and you know I wanted more stability uh, and I you know I was able to get exposure as a teenager to the practice of law and you know and, and learned that that was a way I could self be self-sufficient but I think I always knew that that was never going to be enough I wanted to be part of a team I wanted to be part of building something um, and so, you know, while I went and became, you know, a qualified lawyer, I very, very early in my career, long before it was popular, pivoted into the corporate world because I just, I didn't feel that was satisfying enough. I didn't just want to advise people. I wanted to be part of building something. Uh, and so I, I went into the corporate world very, very early in my career and 
Uh, and truly, I got into tech right away, pretty much. And and I think that is what has uh, had such a, a, a sort of an, a, a pivotal impact on my career trajectory is being in the tech se sector, joining in Nokia when in 1998 when telephones and things like that were just starting to emerge, and just the the thrill of that um, and the opportunity that that created for me as a as a woman in technology, where there were very, very few women in technology back then, um, I think was very empowering and yet very lonely. Um, and so I think that's where it, it, it created that deep-seated need in me to ensure that there were there were many others who would have the same opportunities. And, and I think that's what started me down that path. Interesting. What I'm getting from this is so many of um, the steps you've taken over life, over time, have been influenced by the things that are happening in your life and the transition you feel like you need to make as a result of things that are happening in your environment, things that you feel like you can change. And I think that's also very important. It's something that we are also experiencing as young people right now, just realizing that it's not just about getting a job, it's about making impact, it's about what can you do with the skills you have to make a difference. So I think that's a very, very interesting transition. And yeah, I'm excited to hear more. Um, through the path that um, you've, you, you've, you've gone through, I'm sure you've had uh, mentors, uh, people who've guided you, people who've, um, made it easier for you to even transition between the different um, positions you've been in. How has that experience been in? Uh, how's that experience been, sorry? Yes, and it's it is a good transition because to be honest, I didn't have a toolkit when I started off my career journey. And, you know, there really wasn't the sort of the internet the way there is now. So there were not resources that you could go to. I still recall having conversations with my school counselor where they had an index box of ideas for careers, right? So, you know, the world has definitely um, improved, uh, I think, dramatically in terms of access to information, but still that, the, the, you know, the, there is no shortcuts and, and we are still human beings at the end of the day and we make subjective decisions. And so the need for influence and support I actually think is greater now in some ways. I, I think I was sort of, you know, somewhat accidentally sort of mentored in, in the early part of my career. I think it's much more purposeful now. But in terms of your specific question, I do think that, um, you know, the, I, I, I was fortunate to work at Nokia for a big part of my development as in, in terms of a business professional. And the great thing about the company was its culture was so so empowering um, and Finland as a country was very diverse you know men the the husband and the wife in a household almost always worked because taxes were so high and so you actually had this ingrained um, diversity thinking already in our environment which was a sort of a, a bubble in some ways relative to the rest of the tech space right but it was it was a nice place to be and and i think in that environment i learned very quickly that um people were there to sort of help me succeed whether or not i asked for it 
And there were no words like sponsor or mentors. As There was mentoring, but you didn't really know what that meant. But the idea that somebody was sponsoring you when you weren't in the room was not really a known phrase back then to the way it's used now. Um, but it existed. Um, and people were doing that for me. And I can point to multiple instances where, um, you know, when I was, when when one of my coworkers came to me and said, I really think you should go for this job. And it was a VP level promotion. Uh, and I sort of looked at him and said, well, I'm not ready for that. And he sort of said to me, well, you, nobody's ready for it. And I'm like, oh, really? Like, you know, there was this big moment. And I was like, wait a minute. I had this checklist of things I thought I had to be really good at. Uh, and and so he sort of disavowed me of this need to to feel that I was sort of fully qualified before I was allowed. And these narratives that I had played for myself where I was able to be vulnerable with certain individuals. And I recall when I actually got that BP position, um, uh, which was in itself quite surprising because, you know, naturally I had sort of imposter syndrome very, you know, very quickly because I, I hadn't met this fictitious list of skills that I was supposed to have before I got promoted. Um, and, um, you know, and, and then I was sort of in a role and you know, with people I hadn't really worked with before and even there, I found that, you know, I was clearly out of my depth, but people were willing to sort of supplement what I was capable of and help me grow and learn. And that was so profoundly impactful to me. And, and I, I, you know, I, I was sort of naive in the sense that I thought that must be everybody's experience. And then as I started to talk about those experiences where, you know, other women or other men came in to sort of, you know, if I was missing an issue or I was forgetting to raise something or um, they sort of said, hey, Louise, you know, have you have you thought about doing it like this? And I'd be like, oh, OK, that's a really good idea. And I just assumed that was everybody else's experience. And it turns out it wasn't. And in fact, it turns out it was quite tragically not everybody else's experience. And that's where I, I sort of learned quite quickly that the importance of those people in your career journey is is probably some of the most valuable um, uh, moments because without them, I guarantee I wouldn't be sitting here today. And and I've been able to nurture those relationships now because I've been so aware of them. And I still keep some of those relationships with me very close in terms of decisions or inputs I want even now as my career continues to evolve. So. I think the the role of the mentor sponsor, as we as we define it today, um, I don't think I I can't imagine there's anybody who has you know had a career or is in a career that could think that that wouldn't be needed because it is such an essential element. You know your skills and your capabilities will take you so far, but you know I sit through a lot of executive conversations about you know who should get promoted. And it's still, you know, to this day, it's still very obvious to me that it's about what was their interaction with you like, or how, you know, how have they shown up in the work environment? Um, and if there isn't, and if, if, if that's the only experience and there's not a counter voice, if it's not a good experience, you need somebody in the room saying, well, yes, but that was an isolated incident. Um, and so, you know, how, how do we make sure that we, we support the, their development journey? And I think those people being in the room when you're not there um, and building that network and those relationships 
uh, along the way is it's it's fundamentally critical. So I wouldn't I wouldn't have been able to do it without that, quite frankly. Wow, Luis, thank you. I like that you mentioned about um, mentorship, which is something that is really, really core to what we do at Impact Africa Network. You can imagine when somebody is straight from college and then they have to adapt to the workplace and get assigned tasks. So we really put mentorship at the center of, of what we do because we, we acknowledge that the only way these young people can grow um, deep into their careers is if somebody works with them. Luis, I know you've been in different um, leadership positions, uh, then you grew to, to C-suit level, and you've also done board service for different organizations. And I'm just curious, what, what has been that experience like, especially as a woman? Yes, um, it's, been, um, it's been a windy road. <laughs> I think, you know, I think, I've been, I've, I've either sort of sought out mentors through that process or mentors have, have stepped forward where they may have seen that I, that I perhaps needed support. Um, and I've always been so receptive to that. And, and, you know, I think the thing about mentoring is, you know, as we all evolve in our career journeys, in our, our sort of experiences, um, it, you know, your mental needs will change. And I think recognizing that um, and being very open and clear with mentors, what you want to get out of those relationships is, is, is something that I've learned. Um, so I would have, um, you know, somebody in my, in my sort of close inner circle that I will go to for mentoring advice um, like when I wanted to join a board, I went to a, you know, an, another executive and, you know, and, and said, hey, how do I do this? And, and got some great advice. And then I had to leverage a much broader group of people to sort of sort of put my name out there to sort of say, hey, how do I now get people to take me seriously in that in that capacity? Because I've never done it before. And it's the it's the age-old chicken and egg issue. If you've never been on a board, they want experienced people, you know, how how do you break through that? Uh, and so I found that my very close mentors have been so valuable to me in those and those evolutions. And even when I I left Nokia and I took a year off um, very intentionally and um, really sort of took the time to think about what I wanted to do as, a, as my next career move. You know, I went to very many different people um, for input. Some were not somebody I would tell my closest, you know, vulnerabilities to. Some were kind of mentors in the industries that I was thinking about, um, but had been business acquaintances. And, and others were, you know, really, um, really helping me think through my interview strategy. And so the, the diversity around what you need and being aware of what you need, and even if you think you've got it figured out, having someone to double check that with, is, is 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 so important. I mean, I can't I, I can't emphasize that enough um, because it is the more senior you get and the more roles you take and the board positions, you know, it, it is lonely, right? And so you, you know, people say that for a reason because it's actually true. Um, and so you have to be able to, you know, have that as you move up. Um, you know, your career path, you have to have that trusted network of people 
that you can be vulnerable with because I don't care what anyone tells you, nobody has it figured out. And we all have anxieties and we all have situations where we've never been in before. And we need somebody to sound that off. And, and, and if you're, you know, if you're the most senior person in your organization, who are you going to talk? And so I think that has sort of really, I think, helped me in terms of where, you know, you know, why did I, you know, move to PayPal? Why did I take a C-level job there? How did I get a C-level job having started it as an entry-level position at Nokia? Like all of those moments have had those um, intersections with with the various, you know, people who've become, I think, very special to me as mentors in my career. Um, and they're still very close. Um, and you know, I was interviewed a few years ago by... Um, uh, uh, a Stanford MBA student, um, and he and he had said to me, "Well, you've done so much in your career; you're kind of at the pinnacle." And I was, he's like, "Is there really anything else left to be done?" And I was like, "Oh my gosh!" I said, "If if if this was the equivalent, if if business and and you know leadership and experience was the equivalent of an Olympic sport, I'd still be in the junior kind of kids group because it is something that." Um, needs to evolve with you all the time as the environment changes. And just when you think you're getting good at it is when you should really keep yourself in check and be nervous about, um, you know, whether or not, um, you know, you're missing something. And that's where blind spots emerge. So for me, it's a, it's a constant, constant learning journey, which honestly I love, right? Because it would get really boring if we thought we'd made it and we could get all comfortable. True, true. Thank you, Louis. And I like that you mentioned about being intentional, especially when you're choosing your your mentors and people to work with you in that journey. Just um, a reminder to our audience, please interact with us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or any platform you're watching us from. Leave us your comments and questions uh, for Louis. Louis, I know you're very passionate about supporting women in leadership and promoting diversity in their workplace. I just want to know what was their aha moment? What led to this conviction? That's a great question. Um, it was, you know, again, because I had been in this bubble at Nokia, I actually, I don't think I had fully recognized, you know, how that wasn't necessarily as representative of the real world um, as, uh, you know, I kind of was aware, but I just don't think I had been exposed to it in the same way. And so it was, it was probably in around... Um, 20, you know, probably coincides with when I was pregnant, 2011. I had been um, asked to support some women who were writing a book called Courageous Counsel. Uh, and, and the book was really looking at how many women general counsels there were 10 years ago to where they were now. And this is long before some of the McKinsey reports on, you know, how long it's going to take for women to be at the same level in executives' positions as men. So this was sort of a little ahead of its time. And it was really shocking to me when they said that, you know, the, the, the statistic had not changed for women GCs in over 10 years. Like it hadn't moved a percentage point. And, and I, was, I was truly shocked. And, and I think you, you evolve your career and you're sort of, you know, you're sort of very focused on, you know, how you're advancing. And you assume that someone's taking care of all of that. And that was the aha moment where I realized no one else is taking care of that. Like, 
we're staring at the problem, but we're actually not solving the problem. And so it was at that moment where I said, I, okay, I, I guess I've got to do something because um, if I could make a difference for even two or three people, then that percentage can start to change. And so that was my big, big wake up call. Um, and so, you know, when I decided to take a role in Silicon Valley as my next career move, I mean, Silicon Valley, you know, does not have a good rap for women in, in, in tech and women in leadership positions. And so, you know, I thought, well, I guess if I'm going to go in with this problem, I'm going to go all in because it's sort of the double whammy, if you like, you know, um, women in the valley um, and certainly women in, in, in general council, council positions. It was sort of, you know, it was two strikes there. And so I sort of took took on that role joining PayPal with the, with the, with the lens of, okay, maybe I can you know, somewhat kill two birds with one stone. I'm a vegetarian. I don't like to kill birds, but, but you know what I mean? And so, and so that's how I sort of, you know, sort of started to, to sort of, you know, take a different lens and, and, you know, and the lenses that I was hearing and I was listening much more attentively were, you know, were like when I was doing, you know, supporting my CEO on board recruitment and speaking to recruiters, you know, this, this idea that you had to be qualified to be considered. It's so, it, it's so antiquated, right? That's, that's not, that should not be the gating factor for a board position. Otherwise we'll never get new board members because how, how do you break through? And so, you know, we, we took people onto the PayPal board who had not been board members before in public companies and we train and support and we educate and we help. It's not rocket science, it really isn't. And so we started making a difference there. The other area where, you know, I would get, you know, cause I'm sort of you know, still considered a little bit of a unicorn in the female general counsel of a public company space. You know, I get these calls all the time where recruiters would be like, could you recommend somebody in your network for a general counsel position? And I'm like, okay, well, would you consider taking the number two seat? Well, no, the CEO only wants a sitting GC who is qualified. Well, here we go again. And, and I realized that actually, if we, if we, if we stop sort of calling these people the number two in the organization, I think in a lot of organizations, deputies do more work than the actual, not more work, but they certainly do more of the hands-on capability um, stuff that, you know, as, as much, if not equal to the general counsel. So, you know, I said, oh, let's, let's call my deputy general counsel um, and, and give her the responsibility. And, and that's what I did. I, I brought somebody in who was told from her previous company that she probably couldn't be a general counsel. And that was her passion. I said, okay, well, let's change that, change that narrative. Let's put her on a training program that allows her to be considered. And then she became the general counsel at PayPal. And, you know, and then she, you know, and then she was then a candidate for other general counsels of other roles and um, African-American female who had not been given a breakthrough moment. And so, you know, and now she's she's the general counsel at Discover. And, um, and, and, and it didn't take that long. I mean, it was two, three years, right? So again, it's not rocket science. And so the idea that we would put up these artificial barriers because of what were historical social norms or norms in general that that had happened in business are just nonsensical to me. And so, you know, I, I, I worked with a HR professional years ago 
And she said to me, she said, you know, my job is to remove the madness. And I thought, oh, that's a great way to look at things, right? Because if we can look at the, the situation on diversity, it's really quite, it's really boils down to madness that it's not diverse. There is many women in the world there was many women graduating colleges. Um, there are as many women who want to work in the workforce and they're just not getting those breakthroughs, right? And so our responsibility and my, my personal responsibility is to remove that madness where I can. And if we all committed to trying to help two or three women break through, we could actually make it make a meaningful impact. And that was the way I looked at it. You can boil the ocean and get nowhere, or you can actually take it one person at a time and actually start to um, change that paradigm, change that narrative. Um, and I think the pandemic, is as devastating as that is, has certainly allowed a moment in our, um, and you know, in our work um, sort of, you know, legacy to sort of say, all those norms are out of the window now. <laughs> we can use this moment, and let's not waste a good crisis to actually drive um, new norms and new behaviors that are actually built on a foundation of inclusivity. Wow, Luis, it's amazing what you're, what you're doing for women. And I like your approach of just doing it one person at a time. And I know uh, the tech industry in particular has really, really struggled for a long time with ensuring there's diversity. But I, I have to commend you for the great job you're doing at PayPal. I know that 45% of your board members are actually. But I'm just wondering, what does success look like to you in the long run when it comes to diversity and inclusion? You know, I've thought a lot about that question. Um, and, and I actually reflect on it quite quite regularly because, you know, one of the things we said about doing when I joined PayPal with Dan Shulman, our CEO, um, was sort of to create um, a truly inclusive environment um, where, where, you know, equal opportunity is truly a right within the environment. And one of the things that I've sort of set as a goal is that has to survive and, and continue without the likes of me or Dan holding that up. And I think you can expand that definition of success, right? It's when we're not having to manually sort of orchestrate this in a way and that it's more systematic. And so how do you get that? Well, you get that with more critical mass. You get that with um, things like statistics you've just mentioned there where you have, you know, where you have a board that is, you know, equally diverse. And I think success starts starts to evolve from, um, and you know where we're not, where it's not just a few good souls driving that, and that that is more inherently understood, and that will take more education on you know things like you know known biases and um, and, and making people much more aware and investing in that learning for themselves. Um, so I think. If we can start to really, I think, get to that point where um, we're not, you know, we're not sort of using the sort of, you know, these individual advocates to to sort of, you know, make this happen, then I think you'll get scale, and I think that's the definition of success for me is when, when you know, when I because we have we really work very hard on building diverse talent and PayPal. 
that I'm not thinking, oh, wait a minute, does that mean another company who isn't so good at is going to, you know, offer my person a crazy salary because they haven't invested in that. And that actually there's a pool of talent and that pool is naturally ebbing and flowing all the time because it's rich with talent um, and we can all benefit when that happens versus just pockets of talent, um, you know, being available to, you know, the select few. Um, and I think that's, that's what I, that's what I hope for. And I feel like, uh, you know, I mean, you can get quite despondent if you read things like the McKinsey survey where they're still saying it could be a hundred years. I, that cannot be, the, that cannot be the answer. We've got to make sure that we do the heavy lifting now and then allow it to become self-sustaining because people actually understand and truly get why you would want to embrace diversity because it makes you better. It just makes us better as, as, as organizations. And I think that's the definition of success for me. Um, I think you've mentioned something very important and I think um, it's about especially the cultural aspect um, with diversity and inclusion, it cannot go across the board or keep um, going unless it is something that is coming from within everyone and it's not something you're trying to push to people. It's something they actually are believing in and uh, want to do it intentionally. It goes down to how people work around each other, what opportunities they give each other at the workplace and things like that. In regards to culture, we are at a stage where we are trying to develop our culture. We are a young company. We are still growing. We are still trying to figure out um, what does this or that mean to us. For PayPal, what would you say uh, was a cultural aspect that has helped you succeed? Yes. Well, I think in some ways we've been fortunate from the outset because our mission as a company is to democratize financial services. And I think because our mission is really about ensuring everyone has equal access to, you know, affordable financial health, that by definition is inclusion, right? Because then, because our mission is effectively saying without that, you are excluded and many communities are excluded from the financial systems because it's been too expensive or it's been not available. Um, then by definition at PayPal, that's where we started when we when we defined our mission, vision of values in 2015, when we listed as a public company. And so with that as our sort of nucleus, our center of gravity, then it becomes, um, you know, in some ways a, 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 an absolute imperative to have a culture that is built around that. And so it would be a complete oxymoron if we if we were then surrounded by non-diverse non-diverse workers right because the whole point of you know democratizing financial services you know in a, in a global sense is everybody has different needs and so you know diversity and inclusion is is not just it's not just gender ethnicity it's about your life experiences you know, where you grow up, what life is like in your community. And having that understanding makes our products and makes our capabilities much more inclusive, right? So I think with that is our, our North Star and we, we, we anchor to that very intently in everything we do. 
I feel that that has enabled us the momentum to really build a very inclusive um, and, and consciously inclusive environment where we're very clear on what we're trying to get done. And we're very clear that, you know, one set of people from one geography does not make an inclusive financial services system. So therefore we've been very intent on building inclusivity and building diversity of experiences, of lifestyles, of, uh, you know, just just human beings. We're complicated, we're messy, and we, we have, you know, very different experiences from wherever we are in whatever part of the world we are. And that's what we want to capture because we are ultimately making products for you to use. And so they have to reflect what your needs are. To me, that's the cycle, the propelling nature of diversity. When that synchronizes, um, then you get momentum really quickly. And we've demonstrated that. I mean, we've only been a public company for six years. And when I look at what matters to our employees more than anything, when I look at our annual surveys, it's, it's our mission and understanding how what we do every day ties to why they come to work every day. And, and I think that's where it gets very... Um, I think, embedded in the cultural fabric of who you are. So there's a lot, a lot of intentionality that goes to um, this cultural aspect. We have a question from one of our guests. Um, so we have Pristine who is saying, um, I'm excited as a developer to see more diversity in our world. So my question would be, what uh, would be how can we incorporate diversity into the culture of the companies we are building as early as possible? So for the companies that are coming up, the companies that are still in the early stages as they are developing their products, how can they incorporate that diversity into it? The process. Well, I, th I think you have to start with the fundamental premise that you won't be as successful as you could be without it. Because if it's not seen as a business imperative, <laughs> It's very easy to deprioritize. And you see this time and time again. Um, and maybe you get that early momentum, but ultimately it will not give you that trajectory um, that you will need um, to stay successful and to become as successful as you potentially can be. So for me, it's not truly a sort of like, let's just check the box and make sure we think of ourselves as diverse. It's about how do you embed that um, into who we are as a company and how do we set that tone right away awesome so it should be a non-negotiable like just find a way to embed it um, into your processes in such a way that um, the people you're building the product for will embrace it because they can see that you have um, included that um, we also have another a question from one of our uh, attendees. So Pamela is asking, what has been your biggest career, uh, biggest set down in your career and how did you overcome that? I have lots of setbacks in my career. Um, yeah. I, you know, I think actually, you know, one of the things that I don't, I don't think I appreciated at the time when those things happened is it actually builds resilience, which is, something that we don't talk enough about because, um, you know, especially in the tech world where you can see so much success, um, you know, you have to know how to fail um, in order to um, in order to succeed, I think, in the, in the long run. 
I mean, I I joined Nokia when Nokia was you know on a trajectory and became number one in the world in the mobile phone space for ten straight years, and then it declined very rapidly. And ironically, you know, when I became you know part of the C-suite, our our business performance declined you know pretty much continually for the whole time I was there. And it's hard not to take that somewhat personally because that's you know you're part of you know you you should feel that sense of responsibility and. Uh, and I did, and and I think, you know, that sense of responsibility. While I may not have been responsible directly for how we got there, um, that con- continuous failing actually drove innovation in a way that I had never experienced before because I'd never had to. And so, you know, we were laying off thousands of people. We were um, having to cut, you know, our budgets twenty percent, and yet keep keep people, you know, energized and retained in the company. That's a hard ask. Um, and so, you know, you ha- we had to get innovative. And, and the way I did that with my teams was, you know, we had less and less lawyers in the, func- in the, in the company. And yet we had, when you're in a downturn, you have more and more uh, work because risks go up, people's radars are, you know, more risk aware. And so, you know, I use that as an opportunity for people to reskill their their resumes, right? So you've never done this before, great. We need somebody over here, go do it. And we support you, it's not reckless, right? But it's an opportunity. And I think um, when you can see those moments where things aren't going so well, um, you dig deeper, you find, you know, more solutions. And I would say, even to this day, that's probably the most innovative being in my career was when the company was in decline um and and i think you know it you can you, you can take two paths when those happen you can complain that the cfo is saying cut your budget by 20 percent every year and you have a right to complain and i am a lawyer right i can come up with all the reasons why you shouldn't cut my budget 20 percent or you can be a team player and you can say okay you know how do i turn this around how do i make this a positive and and I think some of those lessons I learned in, I describe it as my life MBA. And, you know, it's, 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 it's really about that resilience that I talked about before that, that if you, if you can, if you can take those moments and then, t- and then become innovative, it's, 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 it's a total, it's a total change of perspective, but it's extraordinarily rewarding. And I still argue today, even though I've been in PayPal six years now and we've we've been successful and we've seen a lot of success uh, you know those challenging years those last few years at Nokia when we were were fighting for every job we were fighting for you know uh, you know our survival probably is you know some of the the, the most um, I think profound leadership moments of my career I think what you're saying is quite amazing. Uh, when you're failing, innovate. Um, it's something that I think we have witnessed um, also as an organization, having different people in different roles, having to transition to start taking up something that maybe has been dropped or something that you need to start incorporating in your organization. And what we mostly do is um, you pick it up, you go figure it out, but you have people holding your hands and supporting you and asking you, where have you reached to this? Okay, so let's figure it out further. So it's actually a very interesting um, perspective and a response. We have, at, okay, in Africa, um, 
we are buzzing with young talent. Um, as you've seen at Impact Africa, we have different fellows from from working on different projects, and um, there's new innovation. And in Kenya, we have had recently two exits, uh, Sandwave and uh, DPO, which is showing the potential that we have here. So uh, my question would be, what is the plan for PayPal uh, for Africa? Well, it's a it's a great question, and it is a it is a it's a it's a great and vibrant continent. Um, it's a continent I know. I spent my honeymoon actually in uh, Rwanda, and uh, yeah, no, I've I've long long held a passion for and spent a lot of time in Kenya when I was in, in Nokia. So it's it's near and dear to my heart. Um, you know we're already operating in in uh, in uh, in parts of Africa, and I think we believe the future of digital money is actually extraordinarily uh, compelling for um, you know a continent like Africa. You know I think you know I saw this with the in the mobile phone space as well. You know the the certain parts certain countries who leapfrog some of the infrastructure challenges we see in other parts of the world. So I think that combination of you know mobile phone uh, utilization, which is extensive, and and financial platforms like PayPal, um, allow things like money transfer services like Zoom, which we already have up and running in certain parts, that everyone can participate and thrive. And and I think if you're not familiar with what Zoom is, that's our money uh, money trans transfer product. Um, and I think one of the most expensive. Um, costs that we see in sending money through traditional channels in Africa is, you know, is is this money transfer. And I think our Zoom product really does help bring the cost down. I think the average cost right now is around 9.3%. And, and we can bring those costs down to 2, two to 4% because of the, um, the digital um, capabilities of some of the products that we have. Um, <clears throat> so I think right now we're, um, we're in... Um, money transfer capabilities and mobile wallets right now in about 12 African countries. Um, and I think cash pickup and direct bank deposits and mobile reloads in about 41 countries in Africa. And, you know, our model is very much about building relationships with and partnerships with local organizations because, um, you know, it's not about sort of, you know, just showing up and we're here and we're, we're sort of, you know, we're going to solve all your problems. It's, it's really about that inclusion with how companies work and operate locally. And we've really, um, we've really dug in on partnerships like with M-Pesa, which, you know, clearly have transformed mobile payments in Kenya. And we have a really great relationship with them. And so, you know, I think you know, if we are to fulfill the mission that we talked that I talked about earlier around democratizing financial services, that has to be inclusive. And so we're moving into these spaces and these parts of the world where we haven't been before or where we haven't been at scale. Um, and we're doing that in a very, you know, thoughtful what works and who can we partner with or how can we do that in, in, in working with the local governments. Um, and so, you know, Africa is a very important part for PayPal. Awesome. I would ask, is there a way we can work with you guys to bring these plans to fruition for a better Africa? We are always open and willing to talk. Amazing. Um, 
I'll go to uh, more uh, smoother questions. Like, what do you do for fun? Like, what do you do on, on your free time when you're not when you're not working? What do you um, enjoy doing? I like to. I have, I, as I've shared, I have a, a nine-year-old daughter. I have two dogs and a cat. And um, I haven't told my husband this yet, but maybe another cat's coming as well. Um, <laughs> I, I like to. We have a we have a place in the mountains. So that's sort of where I like to go. And um, I like to go hiking um, with the dogs, with my daughter, and I like to horse ride. So, you know, I'm very outdoorsy skiing. Um, and, um, you know, that's, that's sort of how I unplug and decompress um, family time and, and, and nice hikes and walks. And certainly through COVID, I took up running, which is bizarre because I'm not a runner, um, but I took it up through COVID and, um, and now I like to run, which I never thought you would have heard me say 18 months ago. <laughs> yeah, COVID, COVID made everyone try out <laughs> numerous things that we didn't envision before. Um, also, um, what do you do to continue growing as a leader? You've gone up to C-suit level positions, being a board member. How do you keep up? Look, I think when you're in the tech space, it's it's um, it's a very humbling environment because something new is coming up all the time. And I tend to try and surround myself with people who are far smarter and far more capable. It means that I can learn from them. I can bring the, the sort of the baseline knowledge and the influence and the impact and the, and the risk assessment. But I learn from them all the time. So it's truly about um, having some humility that... Uh, you don't know it all, and that there are subject matter experts or people who bring a different skill set that when blended and when you're open to that blending means you get to grow and it means they get to grow. And it's, to me, the perfect formula. Wow, that brings me to my next question, Luis. And time has really flown by, uh, 54 minutes in. So this will be our last um, question of the show. Louis, what would you say is the most important principle to consider when developing any product? This is a question from one of the audience members. I think the the most important principle is that uh, that it, when it, when you put that product out, it works beautifully, and that it, you know I I think we we have to understand what we're solving for. Sometimes customers don't always know what they need. So it's not about you know just servicing what the customer thinks they need, but when you put that product out, uh, it needs to be the best possible version of that product. I think one of the things that drive me crazy, and I think drive a lot of customers crazy, is when that product is it's it, it's not quite right. And so I think that superior experience when something is is landing and don't shortcut it and don't cut corners and don't think well it's almost it's almost okay uh have the discipline and the the professional pride to really make that product land and work well um before you put it out amazing i hope the fellows in our studio i have had that advice and also the women out there who are trying to develop products Unfortunately, this is all we had time for. This is our hard stop. But I would not end this cast without lauding Impact Africa Network, who bring to us this show. Impact Africa Network is a non-profit studio committed to changing the African narrative. And we 
firmly believe that women are critically important in this nation. We are very committed to providing women leadership opportunities in the startups we develop. And in fact, at this moment, six out of 10 of the leadership positions in Impact Africa Network are actually occupied by women. To support our work, you can join our micro donations program for as little as just $30 a month. It's a subscription model, same way you pay for Netflix and Spotify. And you can be part of this exciting movement towards creating a new African future, especially for our young women. Thank you, Lois, and thank you, Damaris, and our audience for joining us today. This is bye for now. See you in the next episode.